0: So it's uh, Crazy Damn Canadians, uh, one season. We've done 19 episodes. This is the 20th episode with one of the most famous Prince Georgians. If you do any sport or were involved with any race, you saw the man with the trumpet. (laughs) I should have brought it. (laughs) I got it in the car. (laughs) You just learned how to pronounce his name, Dick Von Von Eugen. Yeah. All right. And, uh, and this is the last episode of the season, with yeah. one of the most iconic people in the city. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much, a pleasure to be here.
2: Yes, and, and as Dave said, a, a true sports icon, not just in Prince George, but throughout the province of British Columbia. You were born in Amsterdam in 1932, correct? Dave? Right.
1: But no, I am official Canadian. Right. Not Canadian
0: born of 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 Dutch descent. Right. Would be the more appropriate way to yeah. say it. Yeah. 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 And born in
2: 1932 in Amsterdam. This was preceding the Second World War. So you would have been a young uh, yeah, young boy 8
1: 9 years old and then when the war ended I was 13. And it was, of course, a horrible period, you know. The main thought of that is still the hunger we had. There was nothing to eat. You know, we uh, went to farmers and tried to trade household items for food items, and so it was terrible.
2: Yeah, because you hear about those hunger winters during the Second World War, which lasted from 1939 to 1945. Yeah. There was during this time that there is the the Nazi occupation of Holland, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a good period, but it brought the best out in some people, you know.
0: Do you still have a clear memory of it, of being a kid at that age?
1: Well, yeah, I I don't know if you could call it clear, but I remember lots of things. There there were uh, food stations established and you were you 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 know you were given some cards and with that you could get a handful of whatever you know
0: it was terrible how long after the war ended did you stay in holland for
1: well i came to canada in 1956 so you were just below 20 then or just yeah. over 20 yeah i had just finished a four year school for Um, electronics and then had to go in the peacetime army for 18 months and then we had it up to here we as two friends and I and we decided with the good memories from the Canadian soldiers we want to go to Canada and then I don't know who did but somebody flew us to Montreal either the Canadians or the Dutch uh, government getting rid of us (laughs) And uh, then we landed in Montreal, got on the train to Vancouver, of course. And uh, in Vancouver, we ran into the mother of uh, a family that used to live across the road from us, a farmer's family. They had 11 kids and they immigrated years before us with 10 of them, one stayed behind. And the mother of that family was just happened to be visiting her remaining son in Holland. And she said, I hear you guys going to Canada. I said, yep. Where are you going? He said, Canada. She said, Canada is big, you know. He said, come to us, which is a little spot, McCoy Lake on Vancouver Island, just outside of Port Alberni. And that's what we ended up doing. The daughter there took us the next day, to the, this was a Friday evening, took us to the marshalling yard from McMillan and Bloedel. And we got hired on as chokerman, the lowest job in the wood circuit, you know. and um, Which requires some muscle, right? And maybe. Whatever they saw in us, they, we were hired. And they told us to be at the road at that particular spot at 3.30 in the morning. What? It was already fire season, so they started early. And I did that for about three quarters of a year. And then we happened to have a sitting lunch and next to the guy that was in charge, the foreman, Alan West, and he looked at my hands, he said, You haven't worked much. I said, No, this is my first job. School, peacetime army, and now I'm here. He said, What do you go to school for? I said, uh, Four years of electronics. Oh, he said, We're just starting with two way radio. Instead of Monday getting on the crummy to go to the woods, get on the crummy to go to the shop, and tell them you're the radio man. No way.
2: No, no question, no nothing. <laughs> wow. And that eventually led to a career with West Coast Mortarela or? Well, yeah. So um, then
1: B.C. Tell at the time had an idea. They had 17 camps on the island and 17 radio men. And they said, we can get rid of these guys if we farm this out to B.C. Tell at the time. So they did, and there I was. And somehow I got in touch with Motorola and looked after the installation of most of the gear then for the Department of Highways. And then uh, they asked me to come to Vancouver and do new installations throughout the province. So I got to see the whole province. And... um, then we had a strange guy in charge. They couldn't stand him in Toronto, so they shipped him to the west coast. Mr. Patterson, I mean, everybody went by their first name, not Mr. Patterson. And he said, uh, well, I think you got certain qualities that will work in sales, and we want a technical sales rep in Prince George. I said, sales, you know. Well, he said, you'll do it. So that's how I ended up in 1965 um, in Prince George, and still here and loving
2: it. And looking back, there it might not have been Canada, because when you're looking at different countries to, to move to, South Africa and Australia were also yeah, an option?
1: Yeah, those were the three countries that accepted uh, immigrants or uh, citizens.
2: Yeah, and looking back at the date of May 5th, 1945, the liberation of Holland. It was Canadian soldiers that were responsible exactly. in large part for that liberation. Has that influenced And influence they had a big role
1: in deciding where we want to go.
2: Yeah. And one thing I find extremely remarkable, and Dave and I were just talking about this before the podcast, is during the, the Second World War, your fami- family courageously housed a Jewish family and were able to successfully hide them from the Nazi occupation. I know and we had a little
1: spot where they could dive into on the second floor and put things over their head again and we had several visits from German soldiers that were suspicious and eventually that family moved out to another location. Probably word got out that you know there's a Jewish family in the neighborhood go and have a look. Yeah, what a horrible time.
0: Did they end up getting away from the Germans? Like, did they yeah, live? Yeah, they went to okay. another
1: location, and they uh, they were fine. We stayed in touch with them after the war.
0: Really? So where did they end up after the war? Do you remember? No.
1: Probably still in the same place I was, Sust, Dyke. That was at that time a uh, uh, Queen's uh, residence.
0: Really? And
2: was it Queen... Juliana yeah. at the time and, and she was actually brought to Canada, to Ottawa during the Second World War. That's correct? right. And mm-hmm. had a child here. In in Ottawa, yeah. 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 And I during subsequent to the war when you're still living in Holland, you had a very progressive think in school where a lot of the curriculum was student ran, students were the janitors, I know. did your own disciplinary action. What was that like?
1: That was, I can often think about it, and it was phenomenal. The name of the guy that started it was Case, that was his first name, Case Bucher. And he was very free in his approach. You could select your own curriculum. If you want to do sports all day, that's fine, you do that. And then you soon come to the conclusion that that's not going to get you anywhere. So it was phenomenal at so that time.
2: Progress at your own pace? Yeah. and and you excelled in
0: that environment. Yeah, it was awesome. Casebook would often think about that. Were you involved in sports at that time? Like, when did you start running? Because that's what you're most known for, I think. Like, what I've noticed is, you know, you did ultra marathons, and when did you start? Um, Here, because
1: in Holland my sport was bicycle racing right and i tried that here for a while but some reason it didn't click there weren't enough
0: people involved yeah bikes there's more bikes than people in holland you <laughs> I know, know that's one of the crazy things you go there and you don't even need a car i was just there last year and yeah and we just literally got on bikes and rode from town to town on bikes something yeah. that you couldn't uh, conceive yeah. of here and,
1: and they know they have special paths yeah. you know
0: and it's either. flat, so it's easy. Just yeah. pedal twice coast for yeah. half an hour. Yeah, you have <laughs> to really
1: look in the country for a hill, you know.
0: Yeah, it was beautiful, though. I really thoroughly yeah. enjoyed that. So you got here and no biking. You're like, okay, well, yeah. maybe I'll just move a little slower and not come up on the black bear so quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh, good. But we, uh, I went with two friends, came to Montreal, Vancouver, the island, Macmillan and Dell. And uh, yeah, then I ended up with two way radio with Motorola. And um, we had a strange guy in charge, Mr. Patterson, I think I mentioned, the yeah, you went by his full name, and uh, ended up in Prince George.
2: And that was a sales position at first, which yeah. transpired into a management sales,
1: position? and uh, you know, it, it worked so well that we had two more guys here in sales department, one in Terrace, one in Kamloops, and one in, Cram, in Cranbrook. So I, I didn't have time to go sell. I was sort of the interior manager. And then the Japanese came on board with their junk, but it wasn't junk. Their equipment could do things that we couldn't do. like having very widely spaced frequencies from the logging business, for instance, uh, in one radio. And um, it turned out that it wasn't junk.
0: It was good stuff. So why did you say they're junk? Was it that people thought it was junk at the time? Is that where that phrase came from? Well, yeah.
1: Who could make a better radio than Motorola, you know, (laughs) type of thought. And uh, they did, and they did very well. So eventually, our market sort of shrunk. And I was by myself again. And then um, the guys from from uh, Vancouver came up. They said, well, you can keep on working, but you are going to move to Vancouver.
2: That's and were you in your early 60s around this time? I'm sorry?
1: It How
0: old were you then?
1: I, I was 72, and that uh, was a retirement for me.
0: No, 62. So you worked for Motorola from your 30s in 1965. All the way up till like ninety. Yeah, in th- the 90s. thirty-three years or so. Really. Yeah, and that's when you retired. One job you worked on radios your whole life.
1: Well, or it, with radios, and uh, yeah, in the end it was sales.
0: Yeah. Wild. And so, where was your um, primary like coverage? Were you working in logging, or were you selling like to consumers? Well, the main sources for our equipment was the logging business
1: and also the uh, the communities itself, the cities the the needed for the fire department or whatever they could use two-way radio for. See,
0: I never even would have thought that was a job. Like, I wouldn't have even really thought about it. You just, you're so used to now, you just go to um, Walmart and buy a package of radios but I guess at one time they were I mean logically they were yeah no you couldn't buy that because it had to be all
1: licensed you know you had to speak for a certain frequency for that operation
2: to function on yeah so
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah
2: so in parallel with your career in two-way radios you also gradually changed and positively influenced the landscape of Prince George sport history. And when did you become very involved with with sports in Prince George and Northern BC?
1: Well, I don't think I can pinpoint a specific time or, or issue that happened, but it just happened sort of automatically. There were lots of people interested in biking and in running. And then uh, eventually, uh, you know, we started the uh, Prince George. No, just a minute now. The guy that was really opposed to having an organized group for running was Gene Bricker. Gene didn't believe that should be organized. It should be free and fancy. And but eventually we did, and uh, I know we had a meeting and. Ross Spears was there, and we said we need to come up with a different name for what we have now. And I forgot now even what that name was. It had a relation to the uh, Tom Masters, running group. And Ross said, no, it just me the name. Uh,
0: And it was the name of the running group that you guys yeah, formed at I that time? Yeah, I think it was
1: simply uh, the Prince George Road Runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, from there, it sort of mushroomed. And
2: yeah, it's been good. Yeah. So d- I believe it was in the early 1970s that uh, Tom Masich uh, stepped in and played an instrumental role in, in getting the Prince George track and field off the ground. And I know that Tom and you have always had a very special Friendship can you describe your friendship with Tom message?
1: Yeah, Tom was awesome because he started the first road race in Prince George Bridge was from the spruce land shopping center to uh, The first bridge going north. I forgot now yeah, Salmon River Salmon River and uh, That proved uh, kind of dangerous. initially uh, it wasn't paved and there was lots of dust Uh and then eventually um, he decided to move it into town and created eight and a half mile loop and (coughs) yeah he was a big part of that and then uh, he said well i'm with the running club on the track the road runners should have a separate issue you know and do it and that's where we came up with a meeting somebody uh, ross pierce was there he said Prince George Roadburners, so that was it and that's how it got started and it's still operating
0: yeah It yeah. still hosts most of the races that you can sign up for of which I've done a few of them now yeah.
2: and that specific race that you're talking about Dick is now called the Labor Day Classic and in, in September and before that it was called the Prince George to Boston Marathon. Exactly. Sorry, I missed that. And, it, you
1: know, that was such a confusing name, even for the insiders, you know. Prince George to Boston, what is that, you know? Marathon? It isn't a marathon. And then Tom explained, he said, well, the winner of that event would get a free ticket to the Boston Marathon. The next year. Yeah, but you had to explain that. That wasn't obvious, you know, so... Then we had a meeting, and Ross Pierce said, uh, if we need a new name, Prince George will over
2: the us. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that the total distance for that race, the Prince George to, to Boston Marathon, now called the Labor Day Classic, is 17 miles. Because that's not a, a traditional length of a race. It's not no. the equivalent of a full no, marathon. No, it came from
1: the original. Finish bridge. point, starting point. When uh, eight and a half mile out, and eight and a half mile back,
2: at the uh, Spruce Land Center. Yeah. So from Spruce Land Shopping Center to the Salmon bridge. River Bridge. Yeah. And back.
0: No. Yeah. yeah. That's got to be more than eight and a half miles out.
1: No, eight and a half out. Eight and a
2: half mile in. Seventeen mile. No,
1: you can really? measure it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> challenge you have to go run that distance and record it just to double check okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah and let's talk about some more legacy around the the Prince George to Boston Marathon specifically the 1979 event because there are some special people in attendance at that day I know
1: all the way from Vancouver came uh, our friend Terry Fox with several friends that ran and his girlfriend at the time, and he signed up for the eight and a half mile. That was us then the course laid out in town, okay. And uh, unbeknownst to us, he was already contemplating his run across Canada. And um, he came through the finish line at the, from the eight and a half. And he felt so good, he said, can I go a second time? Yeah. So he made this 17 mile. And he could hardly wait to find a phone, call his mother, and said, I'm ready for the Marathon of Hope. So history was made here, you know, by this young man.
0: Yeah, and so you actually have um, um, one of the original Marathon of Hope wood plaques. This looks like it has some years behind it, eh? Where'd you get this from? I made them.
1: I had the uh, the posters, cut that out, glued it on. Oh and on then on and the bottom on. was a little sticker for whatever reason. And the guy that got one every year was George. His name will come to me later. George, an older gentleman, but he was so uh, involved with it that he came back with every event, he was the highest uh, contributor. And that was over $30,000 that he collected. Wow, showed it to George. Year after year, you know. Yeah. George Fabi, F A B I. Nice. And he later on moved to uh, Alberta and passed away since. Yeah.
2: Let's revisit that day in September 1979, because it wasn't just Terry Fox who was in attendance, there was also another Canadian national hero, Rick Hansen, as well as Terry Fox's best friend, Doug, and Terry's brother as well, Daryl Fox. Yeah, and And his girlfriend. And his girlfriend as well. What do you remember about that day, meeting these young individuals who, at the time, nobody knew who they were, but they were future Canadian heroes?
1: No. Here's a kid. What was the comparison we made there? Here's a kid with one leg, you know, and there was another one with also a handicap, but they were here
0: and performing. Yeah, it was awesome. Were people talking about it? Like, you must have noticed somebody has one leg. You're like, what are they doing here? Did it surprise you? Do you remember?
1: No, not in the beginning, but when he finished and then decided to go with a second loop, That was amazing, you know, Yeah. and and then he could hardly wait to find a telephone and call his mom and tell her he's ready. Yeah, what a kid. Both, you know, Rick Hansen and Terry Fox, eh? Phenomenal young people, despite the handicap that was given them, uh, they did fantastic.
2: Dave and I, we had Rick Hansen on the podcast earlier this year, and just preparing for that interview and uh, learning more reading his book and learn more about his story and everything that went behind the man in motion tour it just made us recognize like how proud we should be as a nation to, to have individuals like Rick Hansen and, and Terry Fox that went on to inspire so many
1: I know I know at that at that age you know hey eh? just kids yeah 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 phenomenal
2: the, Terry Fox was in his early 20s when yeah. he started his Marathon of Hope Probably his late mm-hmm. teens or twenty when he came up here in nineteen seventy nine for the PG to Boston Marathon. Yeah. Do you remember? Did he? Did you get to hang out with him afterwards at the event? The afterwards, he. Need, I need a phone. Need
1: to call my mom. You know. And oh, uh, yeah, phenomenal.
2: Yeah. That was absolutely uh, a wonderful event. And just the fact that you already mentioned it, but that September in seventy uh, nine, it was that event that gave Terry Fox the confidence to start the Marathon of Hope the next year. I know.
1: That's why he needed a phone to tell his mom. He felt after 17 miles and feeling good, he could do whatever it takes to run across
2: Canada. <laughs> yeah. and, and during this time, w- were you competing as well in these events? Because you also, like Dave mentioned before, got into some ultra marathons and some really, really long running distances.
1: Yeah. I can't remember if I actually ran that day or just organized it.
0: How many races have you run, do you think?
1: No clue. T-
0: too yeah. many, eh? You yeah. ran a lot. Yeah. When did you stop running?
1: Uh That's a good question. I don't recall particularly.
0: Yeah, were you running into your 70s? I you know I was so?
1: 72 when so I quit running.
0: 72 when you stopped running, eh? Yeah.
2: So with being born in 1932 in Amsterdam, does that make you 88 or 89?
1: 89 in a couple of days.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) So at the end of July, it's your 89th birthday? Well, happy birthday in advance. Well,
0: thank you very much. Yeah, that's a good. So in in the races that you ran, um, a couple questions then. I'm just curious. Do you remember or have any idea what kind of was the longest distance race that you ran? Well, it started
1: when I was 40, and I decided we should run a kilometer, not a mile, for every year I've lived. So we started with the birthday run. And I'm not sure if it was the first one or not, but we ended up eventually at Mount Robson and did that trail all the way to the chateau there they have. And then you could branch out to another area where you could almost look into Alberta.
2: So you were running vertically.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For your birthday runs. And back. It counted both
2: ways, you know.
1: So, yeah. And you did those up until your 70s? 72. And then I thought, well, that's enough. So seventy-two at 70 kilometers,
2: at seventy-two, you ran seventy-two kilometers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but there's not
1: there's there's guys here, these uh. outer guys, you know, that think nothing of
0: running a hundred k. Yeah, but that's there's there's the special people, and there's not that many. No. I ran forty-two kilometers. I ran one marathon and couldn't walk for four days, <laughs> <laughs> and said, "I'll never do that again. I'll run half marathons. I love them. I love running." Yeah, but. There is a limit. Yeah, there's a limit, and 72 is double what I ran and couldn't walk for four days. So you're a different sort of human.
1: I remember we were going to gather a group together at Oddway at 6 o'clock in the morning to do, maybe it was the 72K, okay? Something like that. No, it was my 80th birthday and I didn't run, but I organized it, brought w- water here and there. And um, I got there at six o'clock in the morning and they all looked kind of sweaty and dusty. I said, what's up? Oh, he said, uh, we thought we'll run an extra 20, then we can call it the 100.
2: <laughs> so
0: yeah.
1: there were a dozen people, women too, that ran 100K that day.
0: And that was nine years ago? Yeah. So, in all of your runs, can you remember anything that was just like a really crazy story or a really crazy thing that happened, maybe an animal encounter or someone who did something exceptional? Like, is there anything that sticks out? No,
1: I don't think I can pin a particular uh, incident, it, but it was all good. Running was just, you know, awesome to me.
2: Did you prefer? running by yourself, or was it more of a social no, thing No, if we could
1: get people together, that was much more fun. But it was not easy. Um, there, there was one guy, I, Jeff Hunter, I think was his name. He was an ultra guy. And uh, he wouldn't think anything of like that day, um, you know, to
2: put in 100K. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Dick, there's going to be a lot of runners, uh, a lot of members with the Prince George Road Runners that are listening to or watching this podcast. What kind of advice would you give to somebody that might just be starting out with running, or they might be a year or two into their running career? What kind of advice would you, as somebody who's done these ultra marathons, who's helped develop the sport of running in Prince George and the region, what kind of advice would you provide these people? Well,
1: you have to sort of maybe set an example. And uh, and don't overdo it, and just, but just start and build it up. You know, uh, anybody can run. I assume, although you hear hear from people and you suggest they run and say, "Oh, I can't run now." <laughs> if you can walk, you can run. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, awesome uh, activity. I think I would recommend it to anybody.
0: Did you do any other sports? Or what? What other sports were you heavily involved in over the last? years? Well, my, my sport in Holland was bike
1: racing, and uh, that was uh, you know something big in Holland. Everybody's got a bike, maybe two, and uh, uh, you know the cycling club I belonged to had a circuit laid out in a polder flat, and it always was a headwind, no matter which direction you went. Uh, But uh, here I leaned more towards running and skipped the bike.
0: Didn't you also skate, though? We were talking about just before the show started.
1: Terrible. I have had a twin sister and a younger brother, and they could skate like devils. And I tried, and I couldn't. Just just lack of balance. Uh, But nevertheless, I saw the need for the outdoor ice oval, And with the help from the city and other people, it got started. And now I thought I had a button where um, Kathy created that, Kathy Lewis, chilled the oval. It would be awesome if that could be refrigerated, you know. We can start earlier, finish later. No more hiccups in between on account of a little bit of thaw.
2: So, uh, but that never happened. I'm very happy that you brought that up because Dave and I are, are both avid ice skaters during the winter months at the Oval. And I have to think that this year probably had record attendance with oh, m- yeah volumes of community residents heading down there. And we see you there quite often too, Dick. If somebody wanted to support the ICE Oval, the Chill the Oval initiative, with a donation or helping spread awareness. uh, Where are funds being collected? And it's all through Kathy Lewis. Kathy Lewis started that and
1: suggested a thousand dollar contribution. And she just warned everybody that uh, if it didn't go, the money will stay within the club for other reasons. And uh, that's still uh, the idea that would be awesome, you know. Then you have a four season location in the, Summertime when there's no ice that you have to have concrete there for to make ice, they could rollerblade them there. Mothers could come with their buggies, and be out of the traffic. Uh, but it never happened. Yeah. The, the city was behind us. I mean, they they uh, scared up five million dollars for the uh, mass display stadium to make improvements. Five million dollars would take us a long way to get a refrigeration plant in place. And the city had that in mind because they wanted to uh, um, improve one of their, uh, uh, call it uh, uh, refrigeration rooms. And they would make it big enough so that they could run a pipe underneath to the oval and refrigerate that. And then we'll have a, a concrete service and people can use that in the summer for whatever.
2: Then it really truly becomes a four-season multi-sport use exactly. facility, right? yeah. And you, you can't help but feel guilty for all of the volunteers who are, are putting in so much hard work for the ice oval, and then all of a sudden the temperature switches to plus three and the ice is melting and it's closed down. It would be truly phenomenal if we could have that. Oh, just turn replaced. the knob and say, "Here we go again." Yeah,
0: yeah. that yeah. happened to us quite a few times this year. Where even when it was cold, yeah. but the sun hitting it, yeah. unfortunately, just warms the ice up. So, you know, we live in that's one of these things where the temperatures yeah. changing so much that it's only a few months. We have a long winter, but it's not, ironically, a cold enough winter and not to not maintain steady. snow on the ski hills. That's right. And, you
1: know, look at Holland, little Mickey Mouse country, the size of Vancouver Island. They got at least 25 refrigerated outdoor ice ovals. You could probably walk from one to the other, you know. 25, wow, wow. So it's not an impossibility. You can make ice at 10 above.
0: I think you're gonna see though, over time, as things are warming up, I think in the next few years, you'll see as these things just don't work and don't operate for more than a few weeks or a month or two of time, you'll see more interest come to solve some of these problems. I don't think it's done yet. It's just just how necessary is it. Massage Place Stadium, rebuilding that is enabling a junior football team to come to town, which creates a whole different sport coming. So while I'm not a football fan and I am a skater, so I'd be biased to have the skating, (laughs) But the junior football team's a pretty big thing for Prince George for enhancing sport. It's a
2: great example because it shows like if you build it they come, right? Yeah,
0: right. They built Massage Place Stadium. Now a junior football team's just announced they're coming into Prince George and the Kodiak's football is now here.
2: And the community has rallied to get behind this.
0: Yeah, and so if you build the ice oval and refrigerate it, you know, what kind of events and competitions can we bring into Prince Prince George?
1: because now you're not just handicapped by distance from how far people away that might want to come. But, you know, it could be canceled. Well, it has with the attempt that Cassie has made to pull, pull off a racing event, and then it's saw us.
2: I'm glad yeah. you mentioned this, Dick, because I've witnessed Dave hear things like this and then the ideas in his mind, and then he's ruthless in helping make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking to the right guy. Wow. All, this, all this talk about ice and winter... I want to switch gears and talk about the Iceman because it's a leg- legendary annual event in Prince George, multi sport endurance event. Nothing like it in the world exists. Exactly. Do you have past experience with the Iceman? Did you compete? Did you organize teams? Did you volunteer? All of the above? No, I
1: competed a couple of times.
2: How was that? It
1: is a tough event. Five different events, you know, cross country skiing, 10k run, 5k skate. 5K run, 800-meter swim. And you did it all by yourself? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and and then, you know, uh, sort of deteriorated uh, my desire to do that and we formed a, grou- a group, and uh, that was still going till uh, I sort of acted as the uh, organizer of getting enough people together because I know everybody that can run whatever they do. So yeah,
2: fantastic event. Absolutely. And speaking about events, at the start of a lot of them throughout the, the sport event history of Prince George, typically we see you at the start line and you have something in your hand. It's a enormous blowhorn. We have to hear the backstory between behind this blowhorn. When did this come about and why has it transpired into you being at the start of all these massive events with that blowhorn and it. it doesn't seem right to not have you there at to start these events <laughs> yeah. now. What's the backstory?
1: Well, the, it started back with my younger brother who could just blow on a piece of conduit, you know, plastic, one inch electrical stuff and uh, I, I it tried to imitate him but I couldn't do it very well so I must have practiced and then I caught on to one of the air horns from a logging truck and that worked well for me. So that became the horn.
0: So that's just an air horn off a logging truck. Yeah. Uh, what year was that or how long ago do you think? Do you remember what decade that was in that you started bringing those to events? No. no. So it's been a long, a long time. Long
2: time. Yeah. What a tradition though. I mean, yeah. it, it was just a staple to have you at the start line of all these different events, it didn't matter what the event was, whether it was a Roadrunners event, or the Iceman, or a duathlon up on UMBC campus, it, no. w- it became custom to have you there to really kick off the event with the blow of that horn, and then all those athletes are storming out of the gate. Yeah,
1: I remember Labor Day Classic well, because it started there where the Terry Fox run is close by yeah. the statue, Yeah, and uh, community yeah, foundation at the part. intersection there and so many people starting. There's a lot of interest in uh, sporting activities in Prince George.
0: Oh, yeah, blowing up now, too. It's getting yep. much bigger every year. Yep. Yeah. More I mean, and more events and more people involved.
2: Yesterday, what was the announcement? One year out to the BC Summer Games in 2022. And right. a, another remarkable event for not just the city of Prince George, but northern BC.
0: Yeah. No, we're living in a good town. Yeah. I agree with you there, and uh, it's people like you who made it a good town, so.
1: Well, none of that you do alone, you know, there's so many people involved, eh? yeah. but sometimes uh, you, the first step needs to be taken.
0: So on that note, a question would be, if you could meet any Canadian you wanted, um, what Canadian would it be, if you could sit down here and have a conversation with any Canadian you wanted? Well, it would be
1: either Terry Falk or Rick Hansen.
0: Oh, well, we could get a conversation with Rick Hansen for you, (laughs) I'll bet. So
2: what would you say if Rick found time to to give you a call just to catch up, Rick Hansen?
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know how much I could contribute to the conversation, but uh, they were two phenomenal guys, both with a serious handicap and... The majority of us would just crawl in a corner and cry or something, and hear these guys set the whole world on fire with what they did and what they showed they could still do, uh, eh?
2: Amazing. For absolutely yeah. amazing, you know. So let's make that a goal, Dave. We'll reach out to Rick Hansen's publicist, say 15 minutes for a full call with Dick, we'll make it happen.
0: I think that's what we should try.
2: And speaking, th- a great answer with Terry Fox, and I also, just have to say that the support that you've been able to provide the annual Prince George Terry Fox run over the years has been absolutely magnificent. Where for so many consecutive years, leading right up until 20, 20, 19- year, 20 years, I remember somewhere where I, I just got too
1: much, too involved with too many things. Started also the kids' drive, fun drive along. You know, and it just got too much. So I said I have to back out of this So other people took it over.
2: Yeah, but you still were involved because e- even with new lead organizers and, and I spent six years being the lead organizers, you would always show up with handfuls of money, with donations and pledge sheets. And you were always our number one fundraiser in Prince George out of everyone.
1: No, no, that was George Farby. Be- well, yeah, way before, way back. before my time for sure. Oh, okay. But
2: recently, you you would always be the number one fundraiser in Prince George, and you could just tell that this event meant so much to you because of the time that you met Terry Fox, and because of the time that you spent running and were inspired by athletes like Terry Fox and and Rick Hansen. So, just as a past lead organizer, I want to say like, thank you for for all your incredible support, and also. Uh, Another fun fact is that you, Dick, are the only individual in Prince George history who has been nominated as the Citizen of the Year twice—once in in uh, 1995, another time in 2007. Is that I, correct? I forgot the
1: years, but uh, the explanation for that could be would is actually that. Uh, there were or definite organization involved.
0: And right, correct. PG Community Foundation wouldn't have been around in '95, probably. Or
2: yeah, you're right, Dave. Because it, I believe the community PG Community Foundation came around 1997. But before that, the Prince George Citizen of the Year Award was arranged by a local Rotary group. Yeah, yeah. So That's when you right. when you received it in 1995, that was through Rotary. Yeah. and then the PG Community Foundation wanted to recognize you again in 2007 as citizen of the year for the second time <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> well i gratefully accept it <laughs> yeah what that's, it that's an amazing accomplishment too
2: what did it mean for you to be able to th- the last one let's talk about of uh, 2007 to be able to receive that honor and i know they do a celebratory dinner and, and gala and everything what did it mean to you to receive that award well it
1: uh, you know, I wouldn't want to dwell on that too long. It It is uh, awesome to have that recognized, but that wasn't the cause that I got involved. Uh, but just sort of a nice thank you.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. So uh, arriving in Prince George in 1965, and you know, we hear a story how it was the wild, wild west in Prince George back in the 60s. You've, seeing this community change over the last five plus decades of uh, can we talk about some of your fondest memories spending the last 50 plus years in prince george whether it's people you've met places you've visited uh experiences memories Let, let's let's talk about some of the highlights of living in prince george for you
1: well yeah it's kind of hard for me to pull that together but one of the highlights was always Uh, the birthday run. Um, And eventually we didn't pay attention to the numbers, you know. We just selected an area. I would would have been happy to run around the dump just to get the mileage in. And Dave Wood, do you remember him? No, another runner? Oh, man, no, a fabulous guy from here. Moved to, uh, what is the uh, cross-country... Community there in Alberta, My work?
2: oh, uh, Canmore,
1: Canmore, and um, he's the only Canadian. Never mind the the Finnish people, the the Norwegians, the Swedes that came out to lead the team. He's the only guy that produced medals for Canada, golden medals, wow. and. Uh, Yeah, he's still around, but he he settled in uh, southern BC. He's retired from, but yeah, phenomenal guy, what he did
0: for the sport. Well, I think, Dick, um, you've had a a great and fantastic life. And I wish that, I guess the only thing I wish is that we could have given you a bit of time to ponder some of those incredible stories, because that would have been really cool to hear. But, uh, you know, people all have all these stories from the time when Prince George was kind of the wild, wild west. And you weren't doing what was typical. Most people were working in logging and um, going to the bars. Yeah. And whereas you have come from a whole different side of the world, which most people weren't part of. But now is becoming incredibly common, which is like a running community that created a lot of these events. Yeah. And still going strong, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you know we really have to give a, a shout out to Christine from the Prince George Citizen because she's the one that came to Dave and, and myself and and recommended you as a guest. And right away we we thought absolutely what a phenomenal guest Dick would be to be on the podcast. Well,
1: thanks, Christine. Uh, I know she became involved uh, when I was still involved as well with the uh, uh, what, what is the name now for. Fifty-five and yeah, over. Senior senior yeah, Senior Games. Senior Games. Yeah, yeah. you were
2: very yeah. involved and in that, that, right?
1: That went from town to town to town all across oh the my province.
0: God, I can't believe I'm almost close to the Senior Games.
1: <laughs> mm. oh. 55 and you're <laughs> <get> eligible.
2: <laughs> oh no! <laughs>
0: you're gonna be there soon.
2: And Christine is a phenomenal athlete as well, correct? They, she was actually was it javelin or shot put
1: or both? Yeah, yeah, throwing events. And she developed that from just practicing, and with the help, the coaching from Tom, Tom Massage, yeah. who showed up.
2: What a coach Tom Massage is. Oh, yeah. Just what? for him to be able to identify every micro movement of an athlete, and make little uh, subtle adjustments, and it can make all the difference when they're performing as an athlete. What a guy. I
1: know. He's been phenomenal. He's produced some extraordinary athletes, you know. Alex Treasure,
2: Olympian. Yeah. Which one? Alex Treasure. If is that the high jumper? Yeah, another yeah. phenomenal Olympian yeah. who grew I up know. in Prince George. And still involved in the
1: States with the sport, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah Thomas not very well, unfortunate.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I hope that Tom might be listening or watching this, and just a uh, shout out to Tom. We're all thinking of him and thankful for his legacy in this community. Yeah, and
1: maybe you can urge him to come out. He'll all have lots of good stories.
2: Yeah, that you know, I Tom has always had such a brilliant sense of humor, Whenever we run into him at the annual Terry Fox runs or at any sporting event, he's always cracking jokes and throwing out those one-liners to make everyone laugh. Maybe that's
0: a good idea. Yeah. For for another guest. To
2: bring out Tom and your neighbor Laura Lynn, great great friends with with Tom, and she's always mentioned how he's played a a large role in her sporting career and history as well. So that's the thing about Prince George. Like we, for a smaller community, we have produced so many amazing athletes, incredible athletes. Yeah. Lots of them have gone far places. Others have just stayed within Prince George, but have still performed at a high, high caliber. And you're a prime example of that, Dick, where you're celebrating a 72nd birthday and going out for a a 72 kilometer (laughs) run. So what day exactly is your birthday? July 25th? 24th. 24th. Okay. I think we should set a challenge to the community. July 24th. 2021, everyone go out for a run. You don't have to run your birthday age, because some people might not be able Just to Just run that. around the block. There you go. Just there go out go. for a run on July 24th. That's I a challenge we'll to you, this Dave. I a
0: social media campaign and put <laughs> it <laughs> out. Exactly. <laughs> happy birthday to Dick. Yeah.
2: That's wow. a challenge to you. That's there a challenge to Andrew. It's a challenge to myself and everyone else in the community and region. On July 24th. go out for a run to honor Dick and his legacy and Prince George. Awesome. I won't be there. Yeah. (laughs) You you could just have somebody drive you around different neighborhoods at the (laughs) blowhorn, celebrating everyone on, cheering them on.
0: Dick, we're at an hour, and I think that uh, this is probably wrapping up to a logical conclusion to our conversation. Um, Or we risk asking you questions you're not going to have answers to. Um, Because I don't know enough more about the running community unless Scott has something else that's picking at your brain.
2: You know, it's just been an honor to have you on the podcast, Dick. And there's going to be people that are listening and watching this that you have provided direct inspiration for. And you've influenced their sport and career, just them as as human beings. So thank you for being such a great Prince George citizen. Thank you for being on the podcast. And we're looking forward to July 24th when the community runs as one. And a few
1: more days and that'll be it. And another notch on the pole.
0: Yeah, and I'll just say thanks for being someone that people in Prince George can look up to. You know? You. And I'm grateful that you came here and shared a bit of your story, which, like I said to you at the start of the podcast before we started filming, will be preserved so people can always look back and hear a little bit about you and hear a little bit about your childhood right up till how the running community started in Prince George. And uh Yeah. It's great. From really appreciate it. From
1: track and field uh sort of evolved a component in road running. Yeah. And that's the simplest. You can step out of the house and start running, eh? Hopefully, we see you at some more events with your
0: horn. Hopefully, you're not done yet. I haven't
1: done some for a while. I
0: should have brought the horn up. I think when we have the games, though, you have to make it a goal. The games will be a big one, so. Yeah. I,
2: I think for the BC Summer Games in 2022 to officially commence, it has to be you, Dick, blowing that horn, and then the games get underway. Yeah. Who knows? Keep me in mind. Absolutely.
0: All right. Thank you so
1: much. But I'm getting older, although I'm using as a target my mother. She passed away when she was 92, so that's my target date. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you never know, eh? Plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much. Interesting. Uh, thank you, Dick. Appreciate
2: it. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Dave.